Welcome to Take It From The Iron Woman. My name is Susanne Müller, your host and the Iron Woman. This podcast is about empowering yourself and others to make real changes in the world. You will hear from everyday, smart, sophisticated, hip people like you and me. Not everybody has to be an Iron Woman to impress the world. Together, we will learn from the sports and business leaders how you can become a more successful person as an entrepreneur or a leader. It's one step at a time, one day at a time. Take your steps now. Take your big steps now. Join me on this journey to success. This podcast is being sponsored by Get Loopy. On episode 41, you can hear the story of Isabel, the co-founder and CEO. Get Loopy, get a 20% discount off your first order. Getloopy.com Take it from the Iron Woman. Again, we have a very special guest on our show, Ellen, Ellen in Oregon. Welcome, Ellen. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Ellen, who will be joining us today on the episode? Well, I'm so grateful to be here. Yes, I'm Ellen Waterston. I am a resident of Oregon in Oregon's high desert area. That's the central part of the state. I am, I suppose, I could be called a geezer jock on the athletic side of things at this point at my age. In my seventh decade, I'm not happy to confess. And I'm also an author poet. So I look forward to talking about both of those and, and the, both of those aspects of who I am and also how they converge. And certainly you are an inspiration in the sports world as well as in writing. And you were an inspiration to me when I joined you in the writer's workshop in Baja California in early January this year when everybody was able to travel and we were a beautiful group. I would certainly encourage everybody, if we can do it again, join Ellen in her writer's retreats. It's a whole week where we can write and explore. So that was something new to explore. And I always encourage the audience to do something new for themselves. And Ellen, maybe give us a little background on this writer's retreat. It has been 10 years. And that was the 10th anniversary of the Writing Ranches. Baja workshop called Writing Down the Baja. In fact, the Writing Ranch itself is this year celebrating its 20th year. I lead workshops in the United States and out of the country. And I, and I would just encourage people to, to look at the website, writingranch.com. I, well, I think, Suzanne, as you know, I really love teaching creative writing and I say it's really just a matter of blowing on pilot lights because people have so much inside mm -hmm. that should be expressed, wants to be expressed, and it's always wonderful to help make that happen. Uh, the Writing Ranch is really an organization that I created to offer retreats and workshops for both emerging and established writers, mm -hmm. and really the established writer part is almost a misnomer because we're all emerging and beginning all the time. 
whatever we do creatively, mm-hmm. there's the, the equivalent of the blank page, whatever we do each day. So I'd say we're all beginning and emerging <laughs> every day. <laughs> and I like to say we all start at the same point. We might not finish at the same point or finish at the same time at the same point, but we all start at the same beginning with a blank page. Right, exactly. Have you always been a writer? What sparked you to become a writer? I think so much about our childhoods influenced the creative direction we go. I was the youngest by a long shot and so was probably more alone than my siblings were who were all sort of almost like a separate family. Oh, I can remember writing, you know, in little pink plastic covered puffy diaries when I was very, very young. And, but, you know, just, I can tell from the handwriting, it's just, it's very young. I don't think I realized that my, that words could truly impart a scene or a movement or a, you know, an emotion successfully until I was in roughly probably the ninth or 10th grade. And at that point, I became pretty serious about it in my own mind. I mean, it just, I realized I felt very, very at home with it. So I pursued it in various forms uh, through college, writing for a college paper. Also in those days, and perhaps still, uh, the national magazines would have what they call a stringer, certainly on the college campuses and probably in other locales across the country. And if the editor or the writer of a particular story felt that a perspective from a college student would be useful, they'd call you up and you'd run and examine the story and do some reporting. So that was really great fun. And my journalism proved to be a way to make a living for me initially as a writer. And when I moved to the West, uh, this is all in, in the northeastern part of the United States, and for that matter, in Europe, because I was working on the staff of Skiing Magazine. So um, I got to travel all over the place with my mm-hmm. writing. But when I moved west, uh, married and ranching, I initially did write for local newspapers and then devoted myself to expanding my own work, my own creative work. I'd been writing poetry for years, but I had time now and the opportunity to expand that. So, yeah, I equally dedicate myself, I guess, to supporting writers and the literary arts. I founded two nonprofits related to the literary arts in addition to the Writing Ranch, which is really the teaching arm. And then in my own writing, I have four poetry titles published and now three nonfiction titles published, all by through traditional publishing as opposed to self-publishing. It's a strange thing to love, especially if you're an athlete, because it requires sitting. <laughs> you know, it would be a lot better if I could do it while I was moving. But that's that's really the downside of it. Otherwise, I I just delight I delight in writing. And so, yes, this, maybe you've seen the cover, Suzanne. Yeah. Uh, Walking the High Desert. Shall I tell you a little about how, how it came about? I want to know. And 
I have to say on Amazon, when I read the description, it says former high desert rancher Ellen writes of a wild, essentially roadless, starkly beautiful part of the American West. And at the end, what I really love is blending travel writing with memoir and history. Watterson profiles a wide range of people who call the high desert home and offers fresh perspectives of nationally reported regional conflicts. And wherever they may be, to consider their own beliefs, identities, and surroundings through the optic of the high desert of the southeastern Oregon. Sounds so beautiful. So tell us a little bit, how did it all come about? And how long did it take? I mean, it sounds like a huge undertaking. It's big. Well, I would say most of my writing in one form or another celebrates uh, the high desert or examines it or, or tries to figure out how in the hell I wound up here. And this book is slightly different because as you just read, it is, it's a broader view. It embraces history, current events, it's metaphor, it's memoir, it's meditation, it's mm -hmm. all kinds of things at once. I worked on this, well, my original proposal to the, to the publisher was probably, at this point, probably four years ago. At that point, a through hike, another great athletic undertaking for people <laughs> to consider, had been created, a new one that started outside of Bend, Oregon, and went to the far southeastern corner of the state. And as a through hike, It's relatively short. It's 750 miles. I think the average through hike is 2,000 plus miles, mm. and like Pacific Crest Trail or Appalachian Mountain Trail, all of those. So, but because I was no longer ranching and uh, I saw the trail as an invitation to get back out in the desert and also explore land use issues, which were a hot topic here. Mm -hmm. And did this trail go on private land or just stay on public land? And I thought I'd look at that. But if, if you recall, in 2016, Eamon Bundy and his gang took over the Malheur Refuge, the Malheur National Refuge in Central Oregon. And they were armed and they were demanding that all public lands be turned back over to private mm -hmm. landholders. And it was, the refuge is a bird refuge. And it houses many Native American and indigenous artifacts. Burial sites are on the grounds of the refuge. And many, many things were just rudely destroyed. It was a, it was a shocking event. And it changed the course of the book altogether. Suddenly, this part of the world was known, not well understood. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty clear that there was real foment among certain members of the population here that, as it turned out, really fed the election of our current president. And so I thought, oh my gosh. So I went to the publisher, I asked for an extension, and I expanded the book. So what it does now is it uses the Oregon Desert Trail as connective tissue. As it moves through this huge expanse, Each chapter and really each section of the trail becomes a poster child for an issue that is reflected all over the nation and if not the world. So, for example, racism 
even pestilence. There are many animal, tick-borne, you know, insect-borne and avian-borne diseases that come from other places that are infecting people here. This is true everywhere. The historic, you know, snake oil salesman that says, oh, build your house here. Well, that happened to homesteaders in the West and they couldn't make it in the high desert because there was no water. They'd been promised water. And now housing developments do the same thing. We see it. The demand for water because of all the building, well, how's that going to work? So it became a very much bigger story. I address racism, address the um, respect that is or is not paid for to Native Americans who occupied, I mean, for uh, millennia were mm-hmm. on these lands. And there's little trace now. It was an exciting book. It was a lot of research. And that's different than, say, writing a memoir and just mm-hmm. pretty much going with your own best recall. And it's, it's a linked narrative. It's not a collection of essays. It, it, as I say, it just, mm-hmm. it, you walk along this trail, sort of. And yeah. it was great fun. It's out there. I, I feel, I'm daring to feel a little bit excited about the reception it's getting. Uh, you asked me earlier, before we went on, about, you know, how do you launch a book in, during yeah. Corona? And it's, it's this, it's Zoom. High Desert Museum of Central Oregon hosted the, the launch, but my reading was pre-recorded. There was a live Q&A, so you can do all that kind of magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, in one week, I was in Seattle, New York City, in another area of Oregon for readings all in one week. I, you know, I don't yeah. know, that would have been... There yeah. are good things. There yeah. are good things. Yeah. And hopefully it will make its way into the world. I think it has... A very a very positive message. Each chapter highlights a problem that looks intractable uh, because of the different points of view and the environmental view and the this and the that. But as we move through, we see that really often these small communities have the best ideas and they're offering ways to find solutions that we would all do well to take a look at. We just need to listen. So the book is Walking the High Desert. And it's out. You can get it on Amazon, any bookstore. You said like you had a reading. How many people were on the Zoom call? I think that's pretty exciting. Well, yesterday I had a reading that in it was the Zoom plus a live Facebook audience, and it was close to three hundred people. Yeah, it's it's gaining some momentum. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be one of these books that sort of goes along kind of its own little aquifer hopefully mm-hmm. it will and i was listening to some writers the other day and it was interesting that one writer said he needs to be surrounded by chaos in order to write and the other one was no 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 i need to have a process so me as a writer and i can only learn from you from learn from the best how do you write well for me writing is making order out of the chaos of life So the last thing I want is chaos in my writing situation. And frankly, I think it's, it's very admirable that anybody can find inspiration in that chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I think just in terms of an environment that's quiet. Mm -hmm. Now, if the ideas moving through your head are a bit chaotic, that's probably okay. But again, you know, you'll lose a reader if you just transfer that chaos to the page I mean, you know, unless you have a character that just features chaotic speech the whole time, which would be interesting. But I do think 
you need to have the basic building blocks and mm -hmm. then the skills that you develop and then compassion and patience with yourself. I do not care where you are with your writing or how long you've been at it. You will run into terrible disappointments, frustration, blank page. What was it I just read that, you know, you can't control the waves, but you can learn to surf. The waves will so. always come towards you. You need to pick the right wave. Yeah. Wow, this is so inspirational. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you. What an inspiration to hear from Ellen. She's competitive in Nordic skiing racing, but she's also very passionate about writing. What is your passion? What is your passion project? Do it and get the right equipment. Take it from the Iron Woman. We have episodes Monday and Wednesday. Check it out on your favorite platform. And don't forget to order Get Loopy. Loopy is the plant-based snack. Loopy, L-U-P-I-I, from the Lupini beans in Europe. Get Loopy, get 20% off of your first order. Take it from the Iron Woman. Listen to our podcasts. We have important messages. And get the book, Take It From The Iron Woman. It's available on Amazon as an ebook or a podcast. Take It From The Iron Woman. 